Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. This segment will be fantastic, though, because we're joined by Dustin Dopirak of the Indianapolis Star. Hello, my friend. How are you? Doing well, Greg. I also want to send my respects to the great Heavy D. So I, <laughs> I have the same thoughts on his entire catalog that you do. So I just want to make that clear as we're beginning this. So, yes, we, we are of the same age group uh, when yeah. it comes to our, our musical selections. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, this was largely your first year professional beat because most of your experience had been with college athletics, correct? Um, mostly. I did um, I, I did a year in Pittsburgh at DK Pittsburgh Sports, and I covered the Steelers and the Pirates that year. Um, so this is the first time that I – well, actually, no, it's not. I covered the Steelers throughout. but uh, So I, I have done it before, but this is the first time out here, the first time for a newspaper, um, and the first time that I'm going to be covering the same beat for a second season, uh, you know, so, unless something crazy happens. Uh, but at least end the year knowing like it. You know, that year I knew I was going to move to Pirates. Uh, at the end of the Steelers season this year, I, you know, presumably will be on Pacers next year. So uh, it is different for a first year on NBA beat, um, but that was the only other previous year that I covered pro ball. So this was still a, a, a bit of a different uh, thing for me, for sure. So as a guy that, that has been around Butler, as a guy that's been around IU, what was it like to then be on an NBA beat? In other words, what are the things that just immediately jump out at you? There's obviously the difference in pay. There's obviously the difference in age. But things like the average person wouldn't think about. What struck you as you were on that beat for the first time? I think, well, I mean, particularly here, it's different. Um, because I, the, the way I viewed it was it, it's so it was so fast-moving and yet so slow in the same way, in the sense that, I mean, here, like, it, being used to covering IU, like, every every game is so big. You know, and not, not every game necessarily in November and December, but especially once you get into Big Ten play, I mean, there's sort of, there's time for build-up, and, and every game seems to have a, a sort of major, um, you know, sort of part in the, the narrative of the season, basically. And, and, and people are riled up about it, and people, like, uh, you know, just sort of get prepared for, okay, 3 o'clock Saturday, what time are they playing, what time are they playing, you know, next Sunday, whatever it is, where, you know, the NBA, there's just so many games that are coming at you so fast, and the narrative can sort of change so fast, and sort of everybody just sort of lets it, you know, I think from a fan's standpoint, there's not, like, nearly the same amount of, like, there's there's the same amount of interest, but it's sort of diluted by the number of games, uh, I, I guess, in, in that standpoint. So it's a little different, um, and you don't feel like you're just you're just running after news in the same kind of way. But, I mean, I think just obviously what changes is, you know, you're used to college ball when they're sort of protected by sports information departments, and, and they're very, you know, and, and the, there's different levels of that between Indiana and Purdue and Butler and, and other college, uh, you know, sports information departments to start with. Um, but when you got an open locker room every day and you can just go in there and talk, you know, that you're just there for an hour and 15 or for half an hour or whatever it is. And, you know, you're not necessarily, you don't even have to get something out of there every day. Sometimes you just go in and just talk to guys, you know, and, you know, off the record about stuff that you're not even thinking about writing about. Um, you know, that I think is sort of the different, the, the, the different deal of like when you, when you get an interview in um, or you're even around anybody in college, you feel like you've got to make the most of it because you don't know when you're getting them again. Uh, it's sort of like how protected they're going to be. Whereas the NBA, you just, I mean, you could talk to anybody whenever you want to, and you could not talk to anybody uh, because you go in there and just like, hey, I don't have anything today. I just want to talk to you about, you know, 
what do you think about how your college team did last night? If you watched that football game on Sunday, you know, stuff like that. And this group was a lot of fun with that because they're they're just fun guys to talk to, honestly. I mean, I think um, what uh, a lot of the, you know, Kevin Pritchard has said and uh, a lot of the coaches have said, this is one of the most fun teams they've been around. And which which is an interesting to say for a team that finished, you know, 12 games under 500. Um, yeah, I, I, that's rare. I think that people will remember being a part of this group. But they, they really did just have that much of a good time. Uh, they weren't as fully built as a roster as you need to be to really win something. But uh it was a group that got, got along well, I and mean, it starts with Halliburton. But I mean, just everybody from you know the the biggest stars, whatever that might, be, however you might define that term, with this group, um, was sort of guys that were easy to get along with. So it was easy for me, easy for media, and it was easy for them as teammates uh, and for everybody that was around them. Um, so I thought that was particularly noticeable. Just um, you know, again, you see, when you get to deal with these guys as people as opposed to people that are sort of held behind a wall of uh, you know PR, it, it's it's different and interesting and I think I've learned a lot about this team and where it can go on the basis of its chemistry. Who is your favorite pacer to have a conversation with whether it's for a story or just to literally have a conversation with who who is the most chatty Kathy with you from this team? <laughs> uh, I mean I probably like Chatty Cathy was probably TJ just because we're both Pittsburgh guys. Yeah. And so, you know, if we had nothing else to talk about, I would I would say, like, you know, what do you think about what the Pirates are doing? Or we, we talked about Kenny Pickett for a while. Um, but a lot of those guys, I mean, Chris Duarte was, was a funny guy. I really enjoyed talking to Chris. And Tyrese even, like, if you get Tyrese rolling, I mean, like, so we asked him, uh, you know, he, he said he'd only been a Packers fan for so long. I said, well, wait, what's the story there? Like, we, you know, you grew up in Oshkosh. What do you mean you weren't a Packers fan your whole life? And he goes, takes us through the entire sort of, uh, you know, sort of journey of his fandom, you know, starting with the Brett Favre era, changing direction and everything like that. Uh, you know, became a, I think he became a Cowboys fan for a while, but then he's less that. And like now he's going to, you know, whenever the Packers are eliminated, he would for the 49ers now because Brock Purdy went to school with him and he got uh, Purdy's jersey for, um, you know, I think when they were going with, yeah. his, I can't remember if it was divisional or whatever, he, he got an authentic, um, you know, Brock Purdy jersey, uh, basically. So we talked about that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, those, those guys are all fun. Aaron Neesmith was another fun guy to talk to. Isaiah Jackson. Um, I, 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 I got Andrew Nemhard going eventually. Buddy Heald, too. Buddy Heald's hilarious. I mean, he's out there. He's goofy. Um, and his, you know, accent, you can't tell what he's saying half the time. But he's funny, you know. And, and Buddy would ask me stuff, uh, you know, saying, like, hey, like, you know, Buddy one day came in and just asked me, okay, well, why, why'd you, why did you want to do this job? Like, how did you get into this? And he asked me for my whole story. Um, and that's Buddy. Buddy has he's he's again he's different. He's not like where, where Tyrese is really well um, well schooled, if you will. Like Tyrese is ready to take on whatever you know. He, he's ready to be a CEO when this thing is done. Uh, Buddy's just uh, you know he's just interested. Um, so they, it's, it was a fascinating group of guys, and, was, and they were I, I, there wasn't anybody I didn't enjoy talking to. Uh, is what I would say. All right, so a few of those guys, and this is the nature of every professional sports locker room, and I hope players do this, but me as kind of an outsider looking in as a media guy, I always make it a point like the last week of the year kind of look around and saying, hey, this you know combination of human beings will never be together in the same room because things always change. So guys mm-hmm. like TJ McConnell and Buddy Heald are, to me, important pieces of this team but they're also potentially guys that could be moved in the offseason so as, as i stated in the last segment there are 12 guys under contract but not all those 12 guys will be back so if there is a player most likely to be moved that's under contract by the pacers this offseason who gets voted off the island so to speak 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Uh, Daniel Tice, but that's not the most interesting answer. Sure. <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think Tice obviously is going to want to move on. And I think basically, um, you know, I, I don't... I don't know how happy he was with the fact that basically he uh, didn't get any playing time down the stretch that they were really focused on developing Jalen Smith and Isaiah Jackson. Obviously, when they brought Tice back from the injury, you know, that, that really clogged the whole thing up, and each of those guys lost some development time. But it seemed like the point was to kind of get Tice back on film and say, hey, look, this guy can still do something for you. This guy's still useful, um, and, you know, somebody should take him. And, and he, he belongs as a backup center somewhere in the NBA. He's good enough, and I think what he showed in limited minutes uh, or, or, or limited games, basically and when they when they brought him out they really let him play for 15 20 minute stretches um you know, for those seven games, and I thought you saw some good skill there, but I mean, obviously, they're more, uh, you, you know, I, I don't think they had an issue with having too many centers sure. uh, on this team, and for that reason, that's a big reason why they had to, like, you know, go 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 with Ozzy, was a first round pick not too long ago. Uh, you know, with this team, he didn't have a place, and you know, they basically Jalen Smith drifted more towards being a five than being a four, the way that you know he was supposed to be a power forward in the season started. It seems more and more like uh, he can play the four from time to time, but it's, he's not a guy that you're going to start at the four and say that's your guy. Um, so you're looking at Smith and you're looking at Jackson, they're eventually going to have to make a decision. I don't know if they have to now, but they certainly can't have another guy taking up minutes, and I don't think Tice was going to want to, is going to want to be there for that. So that's an obvious one that uh, they're going to have to move him probably for a second-round pick if they're lucky. Um, you know, I don't know what they're going to get on him, but I do think that you know whoever does get him has a functional, useful backup center that I think can still play NBA minutes, make a difference, rebound, set bone-rattling screens, make the occasional 10-foot jumper. Um, you know, there's a valuable guy there. I've just not sure how much they're going to get back for him, but you know, beyond that, I mean, there there are several moves that you could make, and just depends on what you can package. I mean, I, I, I you know, obviously, as you mentioned, I, I don't think uh, Buddy and TJ are what you would call safe. You can't look at them and say that they're definitely going to be back a part of this uh, group. But I mean, I think they both can fetch something. Uh, you know, if you put them, if you put them together, if if, if you you know one or the other, you know, uh, and and they are going to move draft picks. Basically, uh, you know, Kevin Pitcher has pretty much said. I'm not bringing in five rookies. And they might, I think, only end up with four picks, but I don't think he wants four either. Uh, three, I think, is tops, and I don't even know if he wants that many um, because he's already got a young enough team as is, and he saw just the way that you can kind of clog guys up uh, and make it harder to develop players when you have so many young young guys that need minutes. Um, so I think that's kind of an issue there. That, that they, you know, There are packages that can be put together. Um, you know, With each of those guys, you have arguments on one hand and arguments on the other hand for, for why they need them and why they don't. Um, you know, McConnell, you could, I mean, McConnell played really, really well uh, this year. And I, I think, um, you know, I, I, I don't know if surprise was the word. Um, but, man, he was really effective at doing what he does. Um, you know, at, I mean, he, he got to be, I think, a more solid defender, more than just a gambler on defense. And, man, I mean, he could just get to that six-foot jump shot every time he wants to. Uh, and it's amazing, I think. When you when you look at a guy, I mean, he's listed at 6'1". I don't know if he's that tall. Um, and But, he you know, he's just quick enough to somehow get to where he needs to be uh, when he wants to go there, when he decides he wants to break that. You know, if there's only one guy on him, that's usually that. You know, it's usually basically like leaving somebody out on an island to try to defend him. He can very frequently 
to get past that guy and either get a layup or a six foot jumper that he makes almost every time, and he's better uh, now that he can make the occasional three. I mean, he's still not taking a lot, but he knocked down like 44% this year, for which for him is far beyond what he'd ever expected. So he's really a valuable player still. And the question is, did the Pacers still need that? Because I think Andrew Nemhart obviously has to get some more minutes at the point. Um, you know, if, if you keep a third guy to run point, are you, are, are you overloading that position? And are you paying too much money? I mean, he's going to make $9 million, uh, I think, in this coming year. Are you paying too much money to, a, to possibly your third point guard? Um, you know, that's, I think, a question. But, and, and again, I think it's very clear that he can still be a, a really productive NBA player, as you saw. Uh, you know, really, they almost had to take him out there in the end because he was, he was getting them wins they didn't need uh, in the last couple games. Um, and Buddy Heald obviously is an elite floor spacer, uh, you know, because he could just shoot the heck out of it. And he's going to be one of the most prolific three-point shooters in history, but he's not a great defender. And so, uh, you know, I think there are other guys that have higher ceilings defensively. I think Benedict Matherin obviously has to start at some point. Um, and so, you know, and, and do that soon. And I think they're, they're trying to push him towards that and, and get him there now. Uh, and he has, you know, he was not a very good defender either, but I think he's got a lot more upside. You know, Buddy's been in the league for seven, eight years and hasn't got a whole lot better on the defensive end. Matherin, I think they see a lot of, you know, of room for growth there, and so eventually he can be a really good defender that you can have uh, as a starter and a really good two-way player if he, if he puts it all together. And you know, with time, um, so it is the question for Buddy is you know, like, are you willing to you know come off the bench? And if if you're willing to come off the bench, are you willing to take bench money? Uh, you know, if you want to be there beyond next season, are you are you willing to, you know, you know that that that's less than the twenty million you're making right now? Are you or would you be happy to be on this team and be part of it and keep playing with Tyrese Halliburton if it means you know you you, you dial down a notch and you, notch and you take a pay cut? Um, you know, and that's the question. Or would they be better off moving him now uh, for something more valuable? I mean, I think you look at there's a lot of teams you look at and say, man, would they be better with Buddy Heald? I mean, I, every time I watch the Lakers, I'm like, man, wouldn't you know how much would they be? How much better would they be if? Uh, uh, Buddy Heald's the guy sitting in the corner waiting on that pass for LeBron. <laughs> you know, like, you know, that, that would be, that would make them a whole ton better. Um, so what can you get for that? Uh, and I think, you know, they, they, I would say this, I mean, like if, if they're giving up Buddy, I think they need to get ready to play players. Uh, I, I don't think it should be just, you know, piling up draft picks if they're going to move. I, I think either one of those guys, they should be able to get somebody that you can, who they can fit, who will serve a purpose for them now. Um, or, or, you know, a first round pick or a lottery pick or something along those lines. I mean, it's got to be a guy that's got to be a player. I don't think you trade away those guys uh, for somebody who can't help you uh, or, or for a pick that ultimately is going to be a distant sort of, you know, uh, roll of the dice as to whether or not he works. Those guys are very clearly productive NBA players, and they shouldn't be parted with for anything less than that. Knowing that Buddy's contract expires at the end of the coming season, is there a greater market for him this summer? Is there a greater market for him in February at the trade deadline? That's a great question. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I would say, I would say a greater market. Uh, I would say better now. Um, I, I, but, but not by a whole lot. I mean, I, I think this is another thing with Buddy. Like, you do have to get him. If like, for Buddy to work, you have to have a functional team. You have to have a functional team and a functional organization. Obviously, it went bad in Sacramento. I mean, and, and you know, we, we saw that. Just the, the what, what remains of that. I mean, he got booed 
every time he touched the ball in Sacramento. And, you know, that did not end well. Um, but, you know, he's beloved in this locker room. So I think just obviously the difference is, you know, like Buddy's not going to be the guy who creates the locker room culture. Buddy is part of the locker room culture. and He either sits in it or he doesn't. Um, you're not going to bring him in and he's going to change the way everybody thinks that it works. If he doesn't like the way things are rolling, he's like he's not going to be uh, as, as functional a piece. I mean, he, he, you have to bring him into, into a system where he fits. Um, and so if you're established – um, you know, like, you know, I guess the question is, you know, is the team going to be able to make it if it doesn't have a really good shooter? Is it going to be at that point in February where that's all it needs uh, is a shooter or does it need to get something like that now to become that type of team um, that it can be in that position in February? So I think, you know, I, I think the market is pretty good for them, for him either way, uh, because again, you just know that you're going to get a guy that can shoot. You're going to get, you know, that you're going to get a guy that wants to play all 82. Um, I, I think that's important and it is going to force to play all 82. I mean, apparently he like got in a fight with Rick cause Rick was like, you can't come to the, the arena with a flu. <laughs> like you can't, you can't, you can't. No, you're you're not playing 82 this year because you're sick. You were, you know, had a fever this morning. You're not bringing that into the clubhouse. Like you can't do it. Uh, and Buddy wanted to play, <laughs> so you know, like Buddy, like eventually, he's like, yeah, that was probably a smart idea. But there was a minute apparently where Buddy really, really wanted to play and didn't want to be told no. Um, so that matters. So I mean, like it's setting the culture for for guys that want to play and and um, you know, wanting people that are willing to play through pain, willing to play through, you know. You don't want to playing through injury or making stuff worse, but you know, just, just setting a high standard for keeping yourself in condition so that you can play for 82. Um, so there's there's a lot of value to him, but you got to know that you he's a guy that you that, that fits. Um, you know, he's a guy that fits your culture, um, and you know that you have a strong enough culture to bring him in. He's a big big personality, but again, he's not necessarily a captain type. So you got to know that he fits. I think it's you know I, I think you could go either way. There could definitely be a team that needs him more now. There could definitely be a, be a team that needs him more in February. Um, and so you obviously got to see what the what the market looks like now and see if you're ready to pull the trigger check again in february if you don't see what you have see what you are uh and if you can afford to part with them so it's i mean the way kevin Pitcher talks i mean they're just evaluating so much i think that's the, the way they have to look at it is you know look at every deal and 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 they say the word they kept using he kept using was model we model we model we model we model um and you know they, they have to look at look at all of these deals from so many different angles because they could break a bunch of different ways for them Again, Dustin Pirac, Indianapolis Star, all things Indiana Pacers. Greg Rakestraw with you, fan midday show, 93.5 and 107.5, the fan. A couple quick things, and then we'll let you go. Um, at my level of basketball that I cover, I'm talking about playing defense, it usually just equates to play harder, you know, give more of a darn defensively. I don't think at the college and NBA level it's that simple. So when we all acknowledge this team has to be better defensively this coming season – how does this group go about doing that? I mean, it needs a hard offseason. I think that, you know, we, we took that like it is part just, you know, give more of a darn, um, but it's, it's give more of a darn starting now. Um, I think, you know, basically Tyrese Halliburton, we asked Tyrese about it um, because it's, it's the guys that score are going to be the need, oh, the guys that need to get better defensively. Um, you know, guys that, that have to be out there because they're so good offensively. And, you know, Halliburton, for instance, I mean, he, he was top 10 in the league in steals because he's got such high basketball IQ. He gets in passing lanes. He, he has a sense of where an offense is going to try to put the ball and how he can be there to take it away. But, you know, and he he went so far as to say this. He's like, I'm getting overpowered to the point of attack, and that's my fault, and that's that's a problem. That's something I've got to fix. Uh, and that's really where I mean, but that's that's the case for several guys. Is you know, like 
offensive players are really, 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 really good in the NBA, and you're not shutting anybody down no matter who you are. Um, but you got to be able to physically make them feel you and make you make them uncomfortable. And Aaron Neesmith and, and Andrew Nemhart at least did that. Uh, you know, I don't know if you'd call them great lockdown defenders, but on a nightly basis, they at least made the guys that they were defending, and they were defending the best players in the world, made them feel them, like made them notice that they had to work to get shots. Um, you know, so the rest of the guys didn't necessarily do that. And I think Halliburton knows that, okay, I've got to step up and I've got to be, if I'm going to hold everybody else accountable on defense, I got to hold myself accountable and I've got to be better at that. And that means off season training. That means muscle. That means adding, you know, basically adding some size, adding some, you know, just ability to go, you know, move laterally and keep somebody in front of you. And, and he was losing those battles, uh, you know, and that's mostly, they weren't really putting him on anybody that he really had to guard. They were mostly trying to hide him as much as they can, but I mean, they were really trying to hide Tyrese and Buddy, um, and when you got to hide two starters, that's not easy because they'll eventually find you and pick on you, um, you know, at some point in time. And that's really what you know. So that that takes some off-season work, and that takes everybody getting a, a little bit better at defending somebody. As, as Rick Carlisle said, you know, the issue was, I mean, like system has something to do with it. But at the end of the day, like the problem is you're you're too often in rotation when you're at when you ask too much of your rotations and too much of your communication because guys are losing their one-on-one battles. You know, you're 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 eventually going to lose that you know no matter how good you are rotating you know if, if you can't really guard your yard uh you're gonna lose and then they've got really good shot blockers at the end um but you know that's not enough i mean basically if, you, if you're getting basically I, they were giving up 34 shots in the paint or within five feet per game uh, 34 34 attempts and you know it, it speaks well to the shot blockers that they were only shooting opponents were only shooting 62.4 percent from the floor on those that's a pretty good number actually because i mean that's why they were like top two in the league in, de- in uh, block shots, but you know, they're making 21 field goals. I mean, like, like layups are like 42 points a game for the other team. That's an issue. You know, like when you're allowing that many layups, that many opportunities, uh, you're, you're getting beat of a point of attack and, and getting beat badly. So everybody's got to be better. You know, but you know, but it, it starts with I think the guys that are really good offense players are going to have to play 36 minutes a game. Those guys can't be you, you can't hide them for 36 minutes. Uh, they have to be able to win some of those matchups and be able to hold people off. And so you know, those guys got to spend a lot of the offseason working on defense, working on their bodies, so they can be better defenders. Last thing before we let you go, the internet is known to lie to you from time to time. Now, not when you read Dustin's work at the Indianapolis exactly. Star, but mm-hmm. but but by the fingers and toes counting that I have done. As of now, the Pacers have about $95 million committed in salary for next year. The NBA salary cap is set to be $134 million for the coming season. Um, Mm -hmm. Draft pick's going to get some of that money, and there's Mm -hmm. not many roster spots, but there is free agent money to be had, and there's really not anybody else in this group that you kind of have to extend right now. What are the Pacers doing with that money? Are, are they potentially bringing in a free agent here during the course of, of, of this offseason? Obviously, knowing that process is about three months away. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they are going to use that. They, they plan to use that cap money to try to get to try to obtain assets. I mean, they, they might get free agents, or you know, they also have the ability to make these make trades uh, knowing that they can take on capital. Sure. Uh, they, they can take on guys through trades that are going to, you know, that they're going to have to pay more. Uh, they don't necessarily have to even up the money. Uh, you know, they have the space for it. They can, they, they can give away picks or they can give away stuff that isn't, doesn't, you know, ha- does not have a, a high cap number uh, that they can add to. Um, so that, that I think is, that, that's a big issue there is, is that there's a lot of capacity to move things. Uh, they could go after a free agent. I mean, I think, I mean, now how big are they going to go with that? Is, are they, 
they going to use certain of, some of that in trade, some of that in free agency? You know, what ultimately, um, how do they break all that up? Uh, is is a tough question, and that's you know they're they're going to look for a lot of different avenues. I mean, I don't know. You know, obviously they don't traditionally make the big big splash uh, in free agency, and 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 I don't think um, there have been more. You know. Uh, there have been more star-studded free agent classes. Sure, uh, I, I think in, in in history, this isn't one of those years where like all of the big guys are on the market. Um, but you know, there there are some useful players that I think are, are worth them looking at. Maybe it's somebody, um, you know, somebody mid-range. I, mean, I was looking at power forwards the other day, I and mean, I know like. You know, Jeremy Grant, I think, is one of the highest, uh, you know, paid guys right there. I don't know if they go for somebody like them, but I think you maybe look down the list at somebody who's less, um, a, a little bit less of a big name, and that might be somebody they add. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly possible, and I think they they do view, and Kevin Pritchard said this explicitly, and then Carlisle said it to a lesser extent, but they do view, you know, Halliburton as a recruiter, um, as somebody that can that can make somebody want to come play at Indiana by saying, hey, you're going to get the ball. Um, you know, the, the, this, the, the superstar here wants to pass and wants to involve uh, and wants to involve other people. So this is a reason why uh, you should consider it, basically, that it, that it could be a good fit, especially if, you, if, if it's guys who intend to go get another contract someplace else. Go, go to Indiana, get yourself some stats, go get really paid. Um, you know, I, I think is, is one of those things that they can put out there and say, you know, you have a chance to add a lot to your career, add a lot to your earning potential if you go play, play with Tyrese Halliburton. I mean, just look at just look at Miles Turner and what and how much better player he of a better player he became by playing with Tyrese for a year. Um, you know, Tyrese sees you know basically things that Miles can do that, that I don't know if nobody else noticed, but they didn't really uh, take full advantage of when those guys work together. They can be really really good. So that's just, that's something else that he can help somebody else become a better player and sort of unlock everything they have. Um, and so they, they view themselves as competitors on some level for free agency. They obviously know. They're not a big market, and there's some, you know, there's obviously things that they lose. But if they look at mid-level free agents, uh, guys that can still be really useful, um, that, that they can be an attractive place for them. Dustin DePirac of the Indianapolis Star joining us for the better part of the last 25 minutes. Thanks for the time and the insight, my friend. Enjoy a little downtime coming up. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me, Greg. You got it, buddy. Again, Dustin DePirac joining us on the hotline. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. The folks in the Annapolis Colts kind enough to give us on the program today a gentleman entering his third year with the Indianapolis Colts. It is Quiddy Pay that joins us now. Quiddy, it's Greg Rakestraw with you. Thanks for the time, man. How you doing? Doing pretty good. Thank you for having me. All right. Uh, I know this is – it's a long, slow buildup. Knowing the season starts basically five months from now, what are these first couple of days like in the, back in the in the facility? How have they gone for you? It's like the first day back from school. You know, you know, <laughs> uh, just me and all the guys again and, uh, you know, seeing some new faces, catching up with, with the friends and like, uh, just seeing what they've been doing over the off season. I'm always fascinated, you know, when a season ends. So your last game, January 8th, January 9th, whatever it was, how much time do you give yourself to to not work out, to get away? How much time do you have to let your, your mind and body heal before you get ramping back up for the next season? Yeah, I, I learned from my first off season. My first off season, I only took like a weekend off. Went to go see my mom, and I was right back to working out. So this off season, you know, I gave myself a little bit more time to, you know, relax, get my mind right, a lot of body to heal, and you know, maybe like two weeks or so, and then 
I was back back to back to work. You know, it, it, you, since you mentioned your mom, I'll ask you this question now. And so many guys, when they are drafted, talk about, hey, mom's done working. Hey, I'm going to buy a house for mom. Because of your story, because of what you had to go through as a kid to come to the States from Africa because of civil war and, and strife from where you where you were supposed to grow up, I know that resonated a lot more with you. What has life been like for her these last couple of years? Oh, it's been it's been a dream come true for her just just to be able to do whatever she wants and not really stress about anything. Uh, really be there for my brothers, um, my younger brothers. Go to all the activities, take them to all the activities, and you know just do everything that she always wanted to do. So living a stress free life is is always good. Is she here in Indianapolis with you, or has she stayed out in the Northeast? So she's she's in the Northeast right now for a little bit. Yeah, because you obviously got brothers that don't want to move. I understand that they want to stay with their friends and and, and kind of go through kind of the the same things that you did uh, as a high schooler as well. When we talk about, you know, college, same in high school, same in the pros, oftentimes the biggest jump you're going to make as a player is between year one and year two. Well, now you're past that. What are some of the things that you are really – you know, kind of, you know, driving down the details on to say, okay, this is where I want to improve from year two to year three. I think every year um, you just look back at the film and be like, oh, I can improve definitely here in this in this uh, field, you know, and for me it has been the pass rush. I definitely took a big jump from first year to second year, but um, obviously being healthy was a, was a big thing for me. And um, once I feel like this year that's kind of what I have to really hone in on, being staying healthy and, you know, just – um, improving on my pass rush. 15 games in, in year number one, 12 games in, in year number two, and, and so many times in football, it's it's nothing that you did that caused you to get hurt. So are there things that you're attacking differently? We talked about giving yourself some more rest, both mentally and physically in the offseason. Anything in particular you're trying to do differently to be out there for, for 17 games this fall? Yeah, no. Um, my rookie year, I kind of just learned from, you know, I kind of get a lot of soft tissue injuries. So I've been a big yogi. I've been doing a lot of hot yoga. I've been getting right. <laughs> and ever since then, I haven't dealt with any soft tissue injuries. So that's that's been good for me. This past year was just a freak thing where somebody stepped on my ankle. Right. and I was rotating a different way, and I just happened to get a high ankle sprain off of that. But, you know, um, other than that, I mean, I think I've been pretty healthy, like nothing out of the ordinary. And, uh, yeah. Six sacks in 12 games. You know, averaging a sack every the game is pretty good. Is, is is that a barometer you're trying to hit again this year? Have you set a number as a goal for number of sacks coming up in, in 2023? Yeah, I think for every DN, I think the that magic number is – uh, any um, double-digit sack. Sure. So I feel like for me, 10 tens the goal I'm trying to hit. So, Megan, Putty Pay is our guest, Greg Rakestraw, Fan Midday Show here on 93.5 and, and 107.5 The Fan. When there is a coaching change, as you dealt with from a coordinator standpoint last year, so much of April is installation, and this is how we're going to play, and this is where you need to be at all times. There's some position coaching changes, but not a coordinator change for you. How is this April different than, say, last year was for you? I think for us, everyone on the defense really appreciates having the same defense that we had last year, same sure. coaches, being able to you know just go a little bit deeper and uh, how we prepare and 
you know, just going a little bit deeper into the uh, system, just learning more, just just playing a lot faster. So I think it's going to be good for me going from year one to year two. I had to learn a whole new defense. So it was still a learning thing that I had to go through. But going into my second year in the same defense is going to benefit everybody greatly. Obviously, you are ramping up, you know, things, you know, getting ready for OTAs and then training camp and, and then the season. But obviously, there are pieces that will be joining you guys in, in three or four weeks. And one of those expected to be a young quarterback. So you've got, you know, a large chunk of the team, but you know, it's not all of the team. So what's kind of the scuttlebutt conversation? What's it like knowing that locker room is going to change again in two or three weeks? I think we're all excited for it. Uh, we're all excited to see all the new additions that we have, you know, guys uh, coming in, laying OTAs and uh, whatever. But, you know, everyone will, will be excited for the draft to see who we pick up and welcome them with uh, open arms and just be excited for it. All right. So are you are you like doing any scouting? Like, do you have uh, have like a favorite? Have you been studying quarterback film of these potential first round picks? How have you handled that? I mean, I I just been on uh, Instagram, just looking at uh, all the NFL posts of the you know quarterback prospects coming out, who has the strongest arm, you know, who's the most mobile and the smartest quarterback. So, I just I, I've been trying to keep up just to see who will pick up, but it's all uh, up in the air, I would say. All right, what's what's the best piece of advice? And I realize you're playing defensive and not quarterback, but for any first-round pick, having gone through the process two years ago and saw your dreams realized as a first-round NFL pick, what's the best piece of advice you can give an incoming first-round pick here in a couple of weeks? I would say uh, get over – the you know being a first round pick very fast because once you get to this level it doesn't matter where you was drafted and all that once you get to the team once you get to camp all that matters is you know how you're gonna help the team how you're gonna you know put your best foot forward to help the team win as many games as possible so yeah once the draft is you know over that enjoy it with your family you know have fun whatever but then it's it's time to get to work all right seven or eight minutes in and i have yet to ask you about the new head coach what was that first conversation with state with the uh, kind of shane steichen as a team that first meeting like earlier this week I think everybody was, you know, uh, sitting up in their chairs and very eager to hear what what he had to say, and we could just feel his energy and the passion that he's going to bring to this team. So I feel like everybody's excited to see how it's going to go. You know, OTAs, we can't really do all too much. Sure. But, um, once we get into camp, once we get into, like, the thick of things, I think that's when guys really enjoy, you know, this game when we go through a lot of hard stuff together and, you know, struggle together and um, everyone's excited for it. Final thing before we let you go, and, and again, don't know what your travel plans are during the course of the offseason, but once you're away and come back to Indy, obviously, you know, for a good chunk of the year, you're kind of too busy to go out and really enjoy life in Indianapolis. Now you've at least got a little time to kind of go around town, do whatever the case may be, in addition to getting your work done at the complex. When you come back to Indy, what do you miss about Indianapolis? What do I miss about Indianapolis? Yeah. I, I like the downtown scene, and a lot of people really sleep on the on the food and the and the steakhouses. Prime Forty Seven is a great steakhouse. I think Hyde Park is an even better steakhouse. But yeah, you know, I just. I just love the food here. Since I know the owner of Hyde Park, he'll appreciate that. And <laughs> as the guy that's in charge of giving out the Prime 47 gift cards during the postgame show, I will do my best to make sure you get one of those. You get a couple of sacks in a game, that gift card's going your way this regular season. I promise you that. Yes, sir. Thank you. <laughs> hey, Quiddy, thanks so much for the time. It's good to have you back both on the show and in town. And I know things are just getting started. Good luck with the upcoming year. Yes, sir. Appreciate it. You got it. Quitty Pay. Again, kind enough to join us here on the Fan Midday Show. 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. It is Mark James, the voice of the IndyCar Series, who joins us now. How is beautiful Monrovia this afternoon? Uh, you know, it's God's country, Greg, simply put. And I mean, no disrespect to beautiful Lanesville, Indiana. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, we're, everything's, uh, everything's going well. Just wrapped up uh, an interview with the Alumni Association. They have some events uh, coming up that we're uh, helping them promote via our Facebook page. So, uh, yeah, uh, all, all good. Looking forward to the weekend and some uh, – NTT IndyCar Series action at the Acura Grand Prix of Long Beach. Now, you, you, I, I want to note this fact for you that uh, as I was coming back from the Hote a couple of Wednesdays ago, I had a little time to kill, so I took the scenic route. I took 42 just so I could make the left turn at Doghouse Pizza and then make my way to I-70 so I could, I could lay my eyes on beautiful Monrovia one more time. Well, I'll have you know that uh, thanks to our athletic director, Nick Pirica, uh, I, I was involved in the committee to select our next girls basketball coach, and uh, we wrapped up three days of interviews with some doghouse pizza and bread sticks. So take that, mister. There you go. All right. Now, uh, we'll somehow leave downtown Monrovia and focus our attention towards Long Beach. And and I, I kind of made this as a throwaway line earlier in the show. Is this the second biggest weekend of the IndyCar series, only behind the Indy 500? Yeah, I mean, I think certainly because of its history and tradition, uh, I, I think that's the case. I mean, um, uh, boy, it's a who's who in terms of winners there. Um, it is, uh, I think, has become an iconic venue, which says a lot about a street course, quite frankly. And much of the credit has to go to, to Jim McKellion. I mean, who's as much a part of that event as anybody in the job that uh, his group does. I mean, they, they lost a pretty significant title sponsorship a few years ago, and Acura stepped up, and they literally have not uh, skipped a beat. And, and you know, they survived, uh, you know, the, the, the pandemic and, and appears to have come back as, uh, as healthy as ever. And um, I, I know that, uh, you know, say for a driver's hometown, for instance, or a home race like a, 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 a Graham Rahal at Mid-Ohio, uh, or, or maybe even, you know, Joseph Newgard on the streets of Nashville. I, I, I think if you ask every driver up and down that paddock, if, if okay, if you can't win the Borg Warner, pick one more. And I, I, I think they're all going to say, uh, yeah, I want to win at Long Beach for sure. You know, we are just now to the point where you're calling races every couple of weekends. And obviously in May, you're doing something every day with the Indianapolis 500. But through two races, what have we really learned about this IndyCar season so far? Well, I, I think it's going to boil down to who makes the fewest mistakes. And not necessarily I, – I think, you know, I talked to Marcus Erickson about this prior to the race at Texas last year's 500 champion. And, you know, uh, he, he seems to think that Will Power uh, it, it, it put together a pretty good blueprint as to how to win a championship in this NTT IndyCar Series era. Uh, now, clearly, if you win a lot of races, the points are going to take care of themselves. But because of the level of competition that exists in the series, 
I, I think your best approach is to take a win when you can get it, but make sure you're going to get podium finishes and at the very least top fives. And, oh, by the way, you might want to grab an extra point courtesy of the pole here and there. I mean, Will Power won the championship last year with just one win at Detroit. That gives you an idea of the level of consistency that he had in winning a championship. Again, Mark James, you know that voice by now here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Um, this is the deepest field potentially um, in the history of the IndyCar series. And and literally, we say that in terms of the talent and teams that can win, but literally in terms of the sheer numbers, how does that translate to a, a, a street course event like Long Beach where there's not a lot of room for cars? Now we got 26, 27, 28 entrants are going to be competing come Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I, I know that, uh, you know, that people have asked, uh, for instance, Alexander Rossi but in the days leading up to the race, all the media opportunities, you know, there are those that ask what the similarities are uh, between, say, for instance, Long Beach and St. Pete. And he said, you know, the surfaces are, are different. And uh, and so, you know, the, the grip level is different and whatnot. But I, I think the thing that will make them similar, uh, I think there might be a few more passing opportunities all in all at, at Long Beach, but by the same token, for instance, 27 cars are entered on Saturday, and if we go back to the conversation that we just had at, at just how precious points are, I think it's that mindset that led to the two guys battling it out for the lead to end up in the tire barrier like we saw at St. Petersburg and Roman Grosjean and Scott McLaughlin. I mean, every single position is so very, very important in terms of points because the last thing you want to do is you don't want to get into August, Greg, and look back to a race in late April and say, well, maybe if I'd have pushed a little harder and finished one more position, I would have won the championship. But I think because of that, uh, it, it, they, they they take a few more chances. And, and when you do that, that, that margin of error is very, very small. 27, by the way, car and driver combinations competing this weekend in Long Beach. Of course, you hear the race right here on 93.5 and 107.5, the fans. Now, again, now, as we said, we're getting to this stretch where, hey, two weeks is the race at Barber. Two weeks, it's Grand Prix weekend. Two weeks after that, it's the Indy 500. Obviously, in between, it's the race for the pole and qualifications. Well, the other date that is circled on the calendar is April the 27th. Because that is the debut of 100 Days to Indy. And I realize you're more concerned with the audio product than the video product. But my guess is you probably had a, a hand in the production or seen uh, a, 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 a clip or two or this. Your thoughts about this new show that is designed to get IndyCar out to more of the masses? Uh, well, certainly. Uh, hats off to Penske Entertainment and, and Mark Miles and Jay Fry and everyone with IndyCar that worked so very, very hard to find a partner uh, and a good partner to get this put together. And the level of promotion that it's receiving already, uh, I, I think, it speaks to the commitment that, to, quote-unquote, get the word out. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think it obviously makes sense that anything you do with promoting this series, you, you simply must tie it to the Indianapolis 500. And I think they've done a very good job of that. Um, yeah, I mean, we've, we've, we've had some, some folks stop by our, our booth and whatnot. I, we have some people from the production team scheduled to make an appearance on our show uh, this weekend to talk a little bit about and promote it. We've, we've used drivers to help promote it and everything. And, uh, you know, I, it, it's been a long time coming. And uh, I, I think, you know, the, the challenge was, you know, everyone agreed that it needed to be done and it should be done. 
but it needed to be done the right way. And from everything that I gather and everything that I've seen in terms of how they've gone about the process, uh, I think it's going to be an accurate portrayal. I think it's going to get people who are already excited even more excited. And I think it's going to introduce the series to, to a whole other legion of fans, which is, is the ultimate goal for sure. Well, let's put it this way. Again, you travel with these guys. You're around these guys on a on a regular basis. And so there, there's no way other than how people watch, either in person or at a racetrack, this is not going to show anything different to those that are race fans. But to those that will have a chance to learn more about the personality of these drivers, what are things that you get to observe in your position that the average fan might not get to that this show will kind of let them take a peek behind the curtain of? Yeah, for instance, you know, we, we did something uh, earlier this year along those same lines and it's a commitment that we made. I mean, we, we've had features with Jay Query and other folks who've talked to drivers. I did something during the offseason with them when, when they did their open test uh, out in California. I did something called a road trip where I sat down with a driver and I asked him maybe one or two racing-related questions. And, and, and then I came up with questions that, quite frankly, had little to nothing to do with racing to give people an opportunity to get to know who they are and what they they think and how they think for instance you know i said okay if, if if you were taking a cross-country trip who would you most like to have in the car with you a, a driver from the paddock and who would you least like to have with you and and you know i remember the colt heard said that he wouldn't want to have alexander rossi in the car with him because he didn't have very good taste in music and so <laughs> when, when i let when i let rossi know later that colton had said that rossi said see that's not true that's just not true i can't believe he said that so you know it, it, it and i think this show will take you not only behind the scenes a little bit uh, it, it peek behind the curtain and give you an idea. You, you know, you hear from race strategists. You'll be privy to the conversations. Those of you that don't have scanners, you'll hear a lot of the conversations, the concern, uh, the, the 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 thrill of victory and the agony of defeat will unfold before your very eyes, as it were. But I think also they're going to do an effective job of, of giving people a chance to, to to get to know what these drivers are like when they're away from the racetrack, and, and I think that's so very important. All right, so I will turn the tables. If there is a member of the IndyCar Radio Network you would most like to have with you on a cross-country trip whom would it be or are they all tied for last mark well no i I would say this you know we we had some we had some issues with our flight coming back because this is a great question greg and it's very timely (laughs) i I know the issues by the way i know what you speak (laughs) we, we we had issues getting back from texas so me, Nick Yeoman, and Michael Young decided that we would drive from, from Dallas-Fort Worth. We drove from Dallas-Fort Worth to Collinsville, Illinois, spent the night there. We got in about midnight, and then we finished the drive uh, the next day. And, and I was, it, it was a very enjoyable trip, and we were all thankful that somehow, someway, Jake Corey was able to get on a flight to fly home. If that tells you anything about how I answered that question. Well, as, as the person that has to schedule <laughs> filming of a show around Jake Corey, and I, and I get a note um, that afternoon and understandably so hey we can't do the show monday it's going to be tuesday and all of a sudden i tune into the radio station monday morning go man jake's opal connection that's industry talk for how we connect when we're on the road by the way sounds great and somebody goes he's actually in the studio excuse me so yeah i I understand completely uh how things play along uh, of that like all right anybody in particular you're kind of looking out for this weekend as we wrap things up from long beach well, I mean, uh, you know, uh, and 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 Ready Autosport uh, has had a lot of success over the past several years. Uh, Joseph Newgarden, Pottawa Ward, uh, among those that you know are are, are looking to, to maintain the momentum that they gained at Texas. And uh, 
you know, I, I, I think, you know, we talked about the big three for so very, very long, and I think you simply must add Errol's McLaren into that conversation now with Rosenquist and Pottawa Ward and, and Alexander Rossi. I mean, they're they're competing for race wins, and I think that now championships year in and year out. But I think as much as anything, the entire field, while this is not an oval, it's not a high-speed oval, but I think you can appreciate and understand the significance of uh, – you know, having a good weekend at Long Beach, then getting ready for the two-day test at the Speedway. Then you've got, you know, an event at Barber. Then you've got it before you know it, the month of May rolls around. You're on the road course at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And I think every team, every driver wants to have momentum on their side when they get to the story month of May. As always, my friend, appreciate our conversations both off the air and on. We'll have another one of those off the air soon. Take care of yourself, buddy. We'll talk soon. Always appreciate the invite, Greg. Take care. Thank you. Mark Jaynes, again, he is the radio voice of the IndyCar Series. Of course, this is the radio home of the IndyCar Series.